Hey, this is Brent Johnson. You're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. This show is brought to you by Pariah Pickups, handcrafting the very best guitar pickups all the way down in Detroit. Check them out at pariahpickups.com. To support the No Sleep Till Sudbury show on Patreon, visit patreon.com slash Brent Jensen Music. All right, my guest this week is Order of Canada recipient and 11-time Juno Award winner, Mr. Murray McLaughlin. Murray returns to the show this week to talk about his new record entitled Hourglass and, of course, the songs that make his skin vibrate. Here he is. Murray, welcome back to the show. It's a pleasure to have you. It's too bad that we have to do it over the phone, but uh, I'm thankful to have the opportunity nonetheless. Thanks for coming on. It's my pleasure, Brent. It's still really nice to have a chance to talk to you again. I hope I, I hope I don't use two hours where I only should use one. You know me, I like, I, I'm a talker. If we go for two, we go for two. The last time uh, we did speak, Murray was in person back in in April 2019, I think it was. And today we reconvene to talk about your upcoming new album, Hourglass. It's out on July 9th, I think, on True North Records, and it is your 20th release. Yeah, I, I, I'm never really square with which the, one the number is. There's varying accounts depending on whether you count live ones or not. Mm. That that could be the accurate number. I, I really don't know, to tell you the truth. <laughs> so Hourglass takes a very hard look at racism and economic disparity. Most of it was written during the pandemic, but it's also reflective of a worldview beyond the pandemic, outlining issues that have been in play for some time. Well, I, I was able to do quite a lot of the writing during, uh, not this, but the last summer. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, I don't think of it as a pandemic album, but it's the time where I had the kind of luxury to sit down and distill a lot of the things that were going through my head. You know, songs that are on this. Yeah, I think, you know, you understand pretty well the, the song for Anton Curdy. I mean, that was an event that precipitated 60,000 Syrian refugees coming to Canada. Yeah. And I, I will never get the image of that little boy out of my head. Mm. So powerful. And of course, uh, the one percent. Well, you know that that had its origins some time ago, actually, during uh, what they called the Occupy Wall Street movement. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of those people were ridiculed in the media. You know, oh, they don't they don't have a spokesperson. They don't even know. What, well, they don't know why they're there. You know, they they don't really have a point. I mean, what's what are they doing? And I kind of looked at that and went, I think I know exactly why they're there. They're there because they're terrified. Mm -hmm. You know, globalization and multinational corporations that are, you know, more powerful than than governments that move wherever they can, where the labor's cheapest to screw people around. <laughs> that you know, the increasing concentration of wealth and in, in a very very few to the detriment of of a great many, and it's that's not a recipe for a great future. So I started to really look at things that way during that time frame. Yeah. So, you know, so some of this has been stewing for a while. And of course, you know, the election of I can't call him by name. I just can't do it. So I call him <laughs> the other the other guy like Biden did. He's such a loathsome human being. But of course, a lot of the, you know, the song America, for instance, which really looks at the United States through the lens of a dysfunctional family. Mm-hmm. Or Shining City on a Hill, which, you know, cops a quote from a long time ago, but Ronald Reagan, I think, made it famous. But I wrote that to be sort of a little gospel inspirational tune. Like, mm. Come on, guys, you know, you can 
just by trying to get there, you get better, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so they, they, they're ideas that have been distilling for, you know, for quite some time. Yeah. Okay. And, and in addition to that, the record also contains songs like uh, A Thompson Day for Tom Thompson. Yeah. Which is uh, the first single from the record, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the, there were two pre-releases before that. They were basically put up as videos. I asked for that to happen because I thought they were important to get out. And, you know, the one was um, I Live on a White Cloud came out first because the George Floyd trial was mm-hmm. in full cry by that time. And then, of course, the 1% because I was actually going to put out Shining City on a Hill, but I had a talk with my wife, Denise, mm-hmm. and she said, no, no, don't do that. No, put the 1% around because I think it's like a better song and you can you can get more flies with honey. I knew what she meant. Yeah. You can put like a fairly substantial lyric inside of a light and beautiful musical framework and people are more inclined to like it, you know. And Denise, I would think, would uh, know a thing or two about single releases, Marie. <laughs> well, she might, you know, for sure, yeah. I mean, we do have an understanding. Like she, she doesn't attempt to tell me how to write songs and I never told her how to run a record company. But <laughs> there is some bleed over, you know. <laughs> So, so yeah, I mean, the, I'm sorry. The, go oh, ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say a Thompson day for Tom Thompson. I watched the video and it made me smile because it looks to be shot in the outdoors of central Ontario. I'm from Sudbury, so I, I go back and forth quite a lot, and I love that drive. It reminded me of how how much I do love that drive and how lucky we are to live in such a beautiful part of the world. Yeah, it's the origins of that particular song. I mean, you know, Tom Thompson is an iconic figure, of course, in mm-hmm. not only Canadian painting, but in Canadian histories. You know, he's as iconic as, well, anybody, really. And we've all, I'm sure, seen copies of the West Wind on the school wall for our entire lives. Mm-hmm. It's it's an iconic thing, and I'm blessed to be uh, able to go, I, you know, I have a membership at the Art Gallery of Ontario, and when the painting's on the wall there, I never miss a chance to just go and stand in front of it. And it's it's mind-blowing. It's a fantastic piece of work. Mm-hmm. It's energetic. It's iconic. And sometimes I think because of where you are, because of where we live, we've kind of been in that painting. Yeah. So the, what the song really does is it takes that painting as a jumping off point and it puts you in the painting so that, you know, the, the idea is that for that one brief moment when you're in that moment you appreciate how ephemeral life is and how really spectacularly wonderful every minute that you have is i think that's what the painting has always done for me so i kind of wanted to give back to you know i love it i love the video i thought it was very well done so congratulations on that and congratulations on the entire record thank you i I had a a great time i I just got that canoe a couple of years ago oh did you I've coveted an old Grumman canoe for like most of my adult life ever since I saw my first one. It was in an expedition outfitters at Algonquin Park. And it's, it is the classic great canoe, you know, from those wonderful folks that brought you airplanes and delivery vans. <laughs> <laughs> so Murray, you've got uh, a great list of songs here. Um, yeah. It starts with Bob Dylan blowing in the wind. When I was, uh, Still in art school, mm-hmm. but you know, like a well into my teenage years, I I first became aware of this guy from New York that was making a lot of noise as a songwriter, and it also, when I first heard his work, realized that it was really something that hadn't happened before. You know, nowadays you'd call it a mashup or a fusion, but in in those days, I recognized that it was basically putting contemporary poetry 
to uh, kind of classic folk forms. Mm-hmm. In many in many occasions, like he actually swiped uh, traditional melodies like Irish folk songs and put new lyrics to them. So I mean that was perfectly legitimate. They called it the folk process. Mm-hmm. But the particular thing, you know, like everything that happens kind of rides a wave. You know, it's phenomenological in that way. I picked that song, Blown in the Wind, because it was written at the height of the, of the civil rights movement. Mm. It was written, you know, at the, at the height of the Selma marches and, and voter registration drives and people getting beat up and fire hosed and all of that stuff that was going on was front and center. It's a, it's a really quite simple piece of poetry, just, and it asks a question. And it's probably the most eloquent and timeless song about human rights, not just civil rights for black people, but human rights for everyone mm-hmm. that I think has ever really been, been put to paper. Yeah. It's a fantastic song and it's timeless. It really is. Yeah. When it was written, I think this is like 62, 63. This is from Free Willin. And, yeah, that's right. Uh, it was only two verses, I think, originally. And then the middle one was added later. I did not know that, but yeah. I, I know I know three verses to it. And uh, I've sung it myself, you know, in concert with Cindy. We just put together a beautiful little arrangement of it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, it's some of the best things are the simplest things. Oh, absolutely. You know, and I know that now it's probably, you know, less than correct to use the term man or mankind. But at the time the song was written, it wasn't as popular or necessary to say humankind or whatever. Yeah. So, but just asking the questions, that image, how many roads must a man walk down before you call him a man? That kind of sort of says it all, Mm -hmm. really. Tremendous song. Yeah. And, you know, this was named as an anthem, you know, later on. And Bob Dylan, you know, didn't feel comfortable with that, which I thought was really interesting. I think I don't know the man. I've met him once, I think. But, you know, he's a, he's an enigmatic sort of person. I think probably very, very conflicted. Mm. Didn't want to be who he was and didn't not know quite who he wanted to be. But, you know, the full glare of, of insane amounts of fame probably scared the living shit right out of him. I think so. So, you know, I think he spiraled out under it. Yeah, he didn't seem to care much for the spotlight. Well, you know, there are wiser people than me that have, you know, said stuff like, you know, fame is an inconvenience that must be endured on the way to riches, (laughs) I guess. But I, I I don't think anybody, you know, really wants people clambering up on your roof and looking down your chimney because they think you're some sort of a prophet, you know? Yeah. I, I can't imagine what life would have been like for such a person. And I wouldn't want to be able to imagine it. Well, yeah, I'm sure you've, you've probably got a couple of stories, Murray, in that capacity. Have you not? I live in a very sane country and, you know, I do concerts and, and people come mm-hmm. and I talk to people after the shows and, you know, they're rational human beings that ask questions or have an, have opinions, but there, there isn't that kind of celebrity lunacy in this country <laughs> that it kind of exists, you know, driven by you know, kind of the pop culture industry yeah, and social right. media. Like, you know, Canadians are more rational people. And, you know, I, I'm a working artist. Like, mm-hmm. that's how I think of myself. I, you know, I, I have never really sought to be famous. I've only just sought to try and do like the best work that I can and keep working as long as I can because mm-hmm. I don't really want to retire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I have different. I have a different set of goals. I mean, I think that people who are really desperate to be famous have an an underlying yawning need that can never really be serviced. 
Yeah. And uh, to be frank with you, I've met quite a number of people who are very, very, very famous, and they're all barking mad. <laughs> I don't doubt that. Roy Orbison is next. Pretty woman. It's a great pick. Well, one of the greatest singers of all time, for starters. Mm-hmm. And kind of an interesting trajectory because I actually, I have, I have several kind of little Roy Orbison vignettes. Mm-hmm. You know, one of them was like the first time I actually heard Pretty Woman was kind of playing hooky from school and hitchhiking to Montreal with a pal of mine. And uh, it was on the car radio in one of our rides. And I, went, and I heard that guitar lick and I just about went ape shit. It was just, yeah. it was such a powerful lick. And I love the groove. It's like, you know, that four beat snare, like bang, 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 bang. It's relentless. And uh, usually you're listening to a drum pattern that's like on a two and a four or it's other some kind. But that really aggressive four beat snare drove that song like a tank. It was amazing. And then, you know, he was famous. He had all that tragedy, awful things that happened, and you know, losing his family and such. And I saw, I saw him in the bar at the Skyline Hotel near the airport in Toronto. You know, during the down periods when, you know, he wasn't really getting the gigs anymore. Mm-hmm. And he was great. But, you know, it was like a half full bar and half of the people in it weren't paying any attention. And I was like aghast, totally aghast that that was the case. And then the Katie Lang thing happened mm-hmm. and the Wilburys. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, up came Royer and, and uh, his songs were rediscovered and, uh, and as it should be. So it's a great trajectory. There's It's a redemption story, really. I love Roy Orbison. May he rest. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I like that too. I was very happy that that happened with him and the Wilburys. It was very redemptive, in, in my opinion. Yeah, his contribution to It's All Right was a really great one. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was a wonder, that was a wonderful blend. You know, Jeff Lynne, bless his heart, putting that together. It was a big deal. Yeah, and they paid a little tribute to him in the video for it too, which is really neat. Yeah, I wish he'd survived longer. It would have been fun. For him, I think it would have been fun. Yeah. Frank Sinatra, this is a classic. I've got you under my skin live at the Sands. Yeah, that's one of the greatest records that's ever been made. I mean, if you want to pick a big band that just swings and kicks ass, Mm -hmm. you couldn't do better. You could not do better than Cal Basie. And of course, you know, Sinatra was at the peak of his abilities at that point mm-hmm. you know just back phrasing and being able to swing and playing an audience and having fun and it was so sophisticated and and so cool but that particular song i actually did that song myself with a big band it was like really gas to, to yeah oh wow yeah, that's awesome I did. uh yeah it was like a little special performance thing and uh i did a, i did a full well, I can't do Sinatra. Who would try? But I, you know, I had a great time. When that trombone solo hit, I nearly, as they say, Yiddish plutzed. It was, uh, it was great fun. Well, but it, um, the, the special appeal for me for that song is uh, um, I lost my, my brother a year, a year ago this last March. Sorry. And uh, I, I kind of, it was just pre-pandemic, just barely pre-pandemic. So I was able to be with him. Mm-hmm. And during the last little while of his life, he had dementia. So he was kind of losing himself. And uh, the thing that would really bring him out of himself, I'd put on Sinatra. And suddenly, you know, he'd be playing air drums and tapping his feet. And and, uh, just it kind of it just sort of it really worked for him right up until the very end. I had a special tape that I made that I just sort of put by his ear on his bed and and his feet would move. Isn't that just a remarkable thing, Murray? Yeah, and uh, Under My Skin was just one of the, absolutely one of the tops. That and Come Fly With Me. 
I love that. Yeah, it was an interesting experience, uh, the whole music and dementia and end of life thing. I mean, just as an aside, I also put um, a Sweet Bergman-esque, you know, from uh, from WC, mm-hmm. Claire de Lune is the song in particular from that suite. And, uh, and he would hold up his hands and like play the piano along with it. Oh, that's so great. It's gorgeous. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, Ray Charles is next. Come rain or come oh, shine. Oh, man. Well, first of all, come rain or come shine, that version of it mm-hmm. is, is like maybe one of the greatest records that has ever been made. And Ray hits a money note at the end of that thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, like grown Marine colonels would burst into tears just hearing <laughs> him sing that note. It is just the most beautiful version of that song I have ever heard. But my particular affection for Ray Charles began a long time ago when I was invited by uh, Columbia Records representative mm-hmm. to come and this was in Vancouver to go down to a club called the Cavern. Okay. And Ray was in town. He wasn't performing for the public, but he was working up uh, and rehearsing the band and the backing vocals for an upcoming tour. And so they were inviting a limited number of people to come down and kind of sit at the table of the club just to kind of hear mm-hmm. how the show was. So this was, you know, me sitting there with Frank from the record company and one other person listening to Ray Charles with an 18-piece orchestra and the Raylettes wow. in a club 25 feet from the stage. That's and amazing. if I could... If I could have freaking died and gone to heaven, <laughs> I, I would have. And he played for like two hours. Oh, wow. Just nonstop, like everything, you know, everything. Georgia, tell me what I say. And of course, come rain, comes all of the songs. And it just swinging like crazy. So, I mean, I have, I have had a, a huge love for Ray Charles. I think he's got more soul in his little finger than pretty well anybody else has mm-hmm. in their whole body. So that, that's my Ray Charles connection. That's why I, I love Ray Charles so much. Oh, he's fantastic. Uh, last one, Blossom Deary, now at last. Isn't she sweet? Yes. I mean, she's also tough as nails, and she was one of the best studio piano players in New York. She was a session player. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, she was like a serious force to be reckoned with, and really, really good, solid soloist. But she had this really quirky, breathy, lovely little voice, and you know, one of the first times I ever heard her, she was singing uh, Comment Allez-vous, like she was singing in French because she spent quite a lot of time in Paris, mm-hmm. as a lot of American jazz people did. And uh, while she was there, she met a group of people that started uh, doing backgrounds with her, and they became a group called the Swingle Singers okay. that uh, got famous for an album they did called Switched on Bach. It was all of Bach's fugues, but just done with vocals. Hmm. It was hugely popular. It was uh, in the jazz world and in the pop world, too. But Blossom Deary has a way of singing a song that just nobody else does. And now at last, it was written by one of the Ames brothers, but it's really the core of the song. It's about regret. And uh, one day, I was driving down the spine of British Columbia on the Coquihalla Highway. Mm -hmm. I was the music curator in the right seat, and Mark Jordan was in the left seat driving the vehicle. So I was curating the music and I put on Now at Last by Blossom Deerian. You know, it, <laughs> it, the, it always gets me like it does. It's just a beautiful song. It's so beautiful that I learned it. Mm-hmm. I learned how to play it and everything. But halfway through the song, I just kind of glanced over at Mark. <laughs> he, he had just tears running down Aww. his cheek. He was like, it was like driving along and trying to see straight, bawling his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> 
Possum Deary can kind of do that to you. Oh, that's great. Have you seen Mark lately? I have seen him periodically. The, uh, the last time was probably about a month ago. Mm-hmm. He's up at his cottage for the most part now. Okay. But uh, his son, uh, Ezra, mm-hmm. has uh, been posting these insane little videos called... Uh, they're basically comments on what he calls the vintage Jew. <laughs> you know, it'll be pictures of Mark out on the lawn tractor and then his son narrates these like stealth videos. And they're just, they're stupidly hilarious. That's great. Anyway, yeah. So I, I do talk to Mark on the phone, but with the COVID thing and all, it's been kind of hard to get together. So I've talked to Mark, I've talked to Ian and I've talked to Cindy, but it's always by phone or Zoom or something, you know? Yeah. Well, you guys, I think, will reconvene when this is all over, I'm sure, right? Oh, I certainly hope so. I'm, you know, if we're not too old by the time this is over. <laughs> it's still looking to be a while before the theaters open back up. Yeah. Well, I'm hopeful. I mean, that you know, lately the numbers have, have been pretty promising, so. Yeah, it's, you know, the numbers can be promising, but it's also getting people into the habit of actually going out again. That's and a good doing point. stuff like that. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I'm, I was watching a movie with uh, Denise the other night, a, a, ben- a Benedict Cumberpatch spy movie mm-hmm. called The Courier. And there's a, a little piece in it where like, his character is in Moscow with this Russian guy. He's never been to the ballet. Mm-hmm. And so his Russian friend takes him to the ballet. And then there's shots of the, of the Bolshoi doing Swan Lake. And the, and the passage they chose was the, the dying swan. Uh, section of the ballet mm-hmm. <laughs> I was sitting looking at the TV going oh <laughs> I love the ballet please come on let's get let's get the world going again for crying out loud I know it's been so long well we'll see I'm I'm hoping by end of year I'm hopeful I'm an optimist Marie <laughs> well I think that's the right thing to be and for the by and large so am I to tell you the truth so I'm going to get tomorrow morning bright and and chirpy. I'm off to get my second shot of oh, the fizzy vaccine. So good man, there you go. Yeah, you'll be all yeah, set. I'm on. Good, good for you. Well, the record comes out July nine, Hourglass on True North, and I am looking forward to it. Check out the videos, folks. They're on YouTube. I wish you all the best with this, Maria. I want to thank you for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Well, you know, you you know me. I would have talked your ear off for another three hours. <laughs> always a always a pleasure, man. Always a pleasure. Pleasure talking to you, Marie. Take good care of yourself. All right. We'll we'll talk soon. You bet. Well, as we say in the aviation community, keep the pointy end forward and the tail up. <laughs> I like that. I'm gonna use that. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. Take good care, my friend. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right. This has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with my very special guest, Mr. Murray McLaughlin. Until next time, folks, take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide.